Welcome to the Movie Never Ends podcast. This is Emily. This is Nick. Today we are talking about uh, the murder on the Orient Express, the which new we just saw. Kenneth Branagh version, not the uh, old Sidney Lumet version. <laughs> It'd be weird if we were talking. Well, we are going to talk about the old that, one too. But yeah. it, uh, it's but impossible listen, to talk about the new one without. Talking this is on the occasion of the uh, of the the new Kenneth Branagh version, where Johnny Depp gets stabbed. You just spoiler alert. Hello, but <laughs> <laughs> at least you didn't say who did it. Are we gonna? Oh, are we gonna spoil it and tell everybody who did it? Yeah, of course. I, I think we're gonna have to do that. We'll, we'll do that like later on. So in case you want to like listen to this podcast and you don't want to know what happens in the end, don't listen to this podcast. Well, t- you listen to, listen about halfway through. Maybe we'll warn you before. Well, we probably will forget to warn people before we. Well, shall I start with a little summary of the film? It's a movie about a murder on a train. I mean, who doesn't know what this movie is about, right? It's, it's in the title. It's, well, okay, so let's say this is uh, based on a novel by Agatha Christie. Best-selling author of all time. Yeah, I had to look this up because I wasn't entirely sure if she still would be behind, you know, like J.K. Rowling and the, nah, that lady nothing. that wrote like the Fifty Shades of Grey novel. These days nobody <laughs> reads, even those people. Well, they do read those, though. That's <laughs> people. Everybody reads Harry yeah, but, Potter. But everybody. back when Agatha Christie was around, reading is like basically what she had to do. Yeah, anyways, so apparently she is still the... Wait, wait, I got to get this right. I had to look up the actual wording of this because uh, she is the best-selling novelist of all time, and her novels have sold roughly 2 billion copies, and her estate claims that her works come third in the rankings of the world's most popular published books behind only Shakespeare's works and the Bible. So that's kind of a huge claim to fame. Also, I mean, come on. In a world where there's a lot of uh, speculation as to lady, you know, women's capabilities to achieve greatness, I I think she's proven that like a woman author can achieve greatness. But right? she, I, she doesn't get a lot of critical respect. I don't. No, know. she doesn't. And in fact, you and I had a debate. <laughs> it never ended. Actually, I was going to say it was like weeks long, but no, it's. It's never still ended. Are we still have a debate? You claim that she is a genre She's novel, a genre writer, a genre writer, and I say that's that's just hooey, Nick. She's she, a genre writer. The 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 best, the most published uh, author, novelist of all time can't be considered. Is, is Shakespeare a genre writer? No, because he is, wrote in multiple genres. Oh, I was just going to say, is is the probably. author of the Bible a genre writer? But <laughs> yes. yeah, kind of. Yes. Yeah, actually, yes. <laughs> Shakespeare is a genre writer in as much as he's a just a playwright. He's a playwright and a poet, right? Yeah. I mean, so, that's, that's what you'd say. Well, hey, the mystery genre, okay, if we're going to relegate her just to being a genre writer, the mystery novel mm-hmm. is really popular. Clearly, she proved that it's is it incredibly still really popular. popular. I mean, that, oh, that's I, one of those things I don't I know, but, of all, but this is what I said. Do you know the history of the mystery novel? So a lot of people talk about the detective story going back to... Uh, um, Poe, right? Poe, right. Yeah. There's a couple there people before in the that. Remorgue. Murders Isn't that in the what Remorgue. they sort of cite as the um, most... Yeah, I mean, the, there's the a... New, the, the beginning of, like, the wellspring of all uh, detective novels, right? Yeah, yeah. There's there's a couple other... The Moonstone is is by Wilkie Collins that you're just yeah. reading right now. That's, that's one of the early ones, too. So we're only talking about 1860s, right? 1840s, yeah. 1860s. How did nobody write detective novels before that? They didn't. Was nobody interested in murder before that? No, you gotta there's wonder, murderer, right? but there's not detective was, novels. Right, that's a different right. thing. That's the detecting thing of the crime and, itself. And where the plot of it is is the sort of clockwork detection. Solving problem. crime. How, how was nobody interested in solving crime? <laughs> like, it's something that I 
consciously am like thinking about all the time. Yeah. This is it's, it baffles me to imagine that there's people out there for you know hundreds of years of human civilization writing novels and not stumbling upon thousands of years the detective novel the detective novel and then and then it became really popular uh, through the 1950s you know or that was probably peak detective. well like you're talking about more like hard-boiled Dashiell Hammett style detective well, I'm novels well talking like the Christie's peak was probably 1950s oh, okay right? yeah, I mean, yeah yeah well yeah. and there were detective yeah, yeah. detective story magazines and things like that there this were there were a true. lot of well, detective novels. There's a lot yeah. of radio shows. So obviously, detectives. you know, when it comes to British detective novelists, we have Agatha Christie's huge. Mm-hmm. We also, obviously, Arthur Conan Doyle, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was a, you a know, bit everybody her. puts Sir in front of his name, but Agatha Christie also has a really badass title. She's Dame Agatha Christie. Uh, right? Let me just let me just Dame Commander of the Order of the British Empire. <laughs> That is complete. That should come before Agatha Christie. Dame Commander of the Order of the British Empire, Agatha Christie. That's yeah. a bit too much to say. It is a lot to say. Anyhow, um, but where were we going with this? I got sidetracked already. You got already. sidetracked. You were oh, talking about yeah. the most popular. Yeah, so she's the most popular novelist, right? So everybody thinks, like, Sherlock Holmes is super-duper popular. But, like, she clearly has more success than Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah, she's got, like... At least two characters that are as big as Sherlock yeah. Holmes. If not she's like three. doing laps around Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah, you know. Anyhow, so so this is one of this is her male character. This, uh, in, yes. in this story. Let me hone in on on yeah. giving you a picture of this. <laughs> I this is when you have too much information in your head. It's hard to have That's a conversation. So Agatha Christie is really well known for pretty much just two of her recurring characters, which are Miss Marple. And Hercule Poirot. Uh, so this this movie has as its central character Poirot, as played by Kenneth Branagh, and um, he essentially just gets on a train. He's trying to go somewhere, and uh, from Istanbul to where? Where's the, his destination? Is back in England, right? Well, his, his final destination is yeah, the train doesn't so, go. Anyways, doesn't he's, go across the. It's on the this channel. train, and there's a murder. In the cabin right next door to where he's sleeping. And, of course, you know, they're stranded uh, because an avalanche happens and stops the train, mm-hmm. right? Right, basically, when this murder is happening. So it's almost like a locked room mystery because you know that the killer is there with you on this train. Like, they couldn't have just Presumably. run off into the night in this snow. Wow. I mean, they're in the mountains, so this person wouldn't have got well, far. Well, that's, uh, that's one of the two solutions, though, isn't it? Oh, sorry. I already spoiled it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. So, anyway. Well, but that would be extremely difficult to have happen. So, essentially, the the premise is that Poirot, using his little gray cells, as he likes to say, has to uh, come up with the solution by interrogating everybody on the train and being suspicious of them all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Coming around to and he's supposed yeah, all this to be the world's greatest detector. He's this very vainglorious, very precise. Oh yeah, he's OCD all ego kind of guy. He is OCD. He's uh, just before e- OCD an egomaniac. Was a thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and so yeah, he's a little flamboyant. He is flamboyant. He's he's a Belgian guy. There's a lot of confusion as to whether or not he's French and jokes um, in many of the the film and TV adaptations. I don't think they made any jokes about him being French yeah. or Belgium, but always being mistaken for French in this. Yeah. 
Um, it's like if you had a, a New Zealander who was constantly being asked if they were Australian. Yeah, I'm sure it's exactly. kind of the same sort of joke. Anyhow, no, it's funny. Um, <laughs> but there's like a big this. This is the sort of story that lends itself. But this is kind of I would like to say that this in and of itself is very similar to another Agatha Christie work, which is And Then There Were None. Yeah. Which is also what entitled Ten Little Indians, I think. It's, that it it's entitled been... something else, actually, too. Okay, we'll not go there. But <laughs> <laughs> she has multiple titles for her work. Some yeah. are more PC than others. Um, and that one, again, centralizes around, you know, there's a bunch of guests, ten of which I assume yeah. I, I think there's exactly 10 or there's 11 because there's a host. Anyways, they're sort of like all invited to a place, a big seaside a big house. house, and then somebody dies and then people keep dying. And yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways, that, that one's, I think, a little more um, fun because there's a lot of death in that. This this one, there's that like one, was, one it death. That one used to be adapted a lot more. There's four or five movie adaptations. Most of them are pre-1960s. Um, mm-hmm. So that used to be the most popular adaptation mm-hmm. for hers. The one... Murder on the Orient Express. There was a there was a movie version of it from 1974 that was really popular. Directed by Sidney Lumet, Lumet, who usually and, made cop movies. Like, uh, I mean, yeah. not really like based on the crime cop movies. Like a lot of that sort of rambling 70s style. We'll throw out a title so our listeners. Oh, might. Uh, uh, Serpico. Yeah, and uh, Prince of New York, and um, you know, you know, there's a, there's a number of them. But he's he's a he's a pretty cool '70s director, and this is a period piece for him, which is quite unusual. Well, not not as unusual as his turn towards musicals in The Wiz. Um, We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> but anyhow, that version stars Albert Finney. Yeah, an only what thirty seven year old Albert, Albert, Albert Finney. Finney. Yeah. As Hercule Poirot. Yeah. And we'll, get to, we'll get to that later, uh, yeah, but we'll I guess we'll, let's try to talk about the new one now. So the new one, of course, um, oh, this is where I was going by saying it is similar to um, And Then There Were None, where it's, to do a film adaptation, I think the allure is to basically flesh out this story with the cast of your dreams, because you have this very specific set of characters. Mm-hmm. They're in this confined space. And um, it's like like a live action Clue or like one of those sort of yes. Yes, there's a lot of ways in which this reminded me of Clue. um, How even just how it was done. Yeah. Um, Funny enough, I'm gonna go off on a tangent here. We had to wait what half an hour to buy our movie tickets. Yeah, this movie. Our local movie theater runs specials on Tuesdays. They're five dollars, which is great. But sometimes everyone in the county shows Everybody up. Everybody shows up. And they only have two registers, so it's they like... They have two registers, it's like and they don't know how to sell tickets. movie theater in Russia, you know, the bread lines. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> yeah. Um, it takes a while to get through sometimes. You, yeah. So we actually missed, I think, so the first minute or so we, of this A film. couple minutes, which really pissed me off, but I don't think we missed yeah, a whole no, lot, no, just, actually. Yeah. But while it's funny, because while we were standing there uh, waiting to buy tickets for half an hour, I was bored, and so I started people watching and i started to kind of point out to you like certain people that were um interesting looking or mm. had bizarre outfits or we yeah. were guessing the name of this one tennis jock i think we settled on darren being an appropriate name for him right anyways but the funniest thing was so you know you've got sort of this room full of people that you're stuck there it was very it was mimicking the movie in a lot of ways and in <laughs> fact the weirdest part was that all of these people ended up 
in the theater with us. Yeah, like, you they, thought they were all going to see Thor, but I was no. like, all these people are here for Thor. Oh my god, just sell us the tickets for Murder on the Orient Express. We'll go sit with like the three other old ladies in the auditorium <laughs> and watch this. And you were surprised. It was packed. It was a younger crowd and than you thought. It was like... A, ma- a more male crowd than you would have thought. Yeah, there were three men behind us who were not college age. Really? They were yeah. just like guys on a guy's like night Dis- out. that Daisy Ridley? I think that's what it is. Is she the draw? Daisy Ridley. Which one did she play? The, the governess? Yeah, she's the governess. She's from Star Wars. The one from... Oh... No, I don't think she's no, enough of a draw. So. No. no. No, maybe maybe people are just really into Agatha Christie. I've always been used to me being like the <laughs> only person I we weren't the only the like the youngest people in that auditorium. I, that was I yeah, there yeah. were people much younger than us. Anyhow, so yeah, so I already had like names for these people and then we were like going into this theater and yeah. sitting and watching a movie where you have like a confined cast of people. Yeah. I noticed you're not talking about the movie though. Sorry. So is that a bad thing? No, is that, it's is that, is that, is that to is, is that a reflection on what you thought about this movie? Well, I didn't love this movie, I will yeah. say. Um, but, I mean, for me, as as a lover of the detective novel, a lover of, you know, detective movies in general. Um, a lover of Agatha Christie. A lover of Agatha Christie. It's... I, this did not. This had really high expectations on my heart part mm. to meet, and it just didn't quite get there. But, um, yeah, so let's talk about some of the cast. It... This is a cast that has to be, it has to skew older, let's just say, because the characters themselves, for the most part, are middle-aged to older. You can always rewrite that stuff. And they they do to some extent, especially compared with the, the 1974 version, which is like old city, older palooza. Yeah. You know, um... And that's one of those things that I, I kind of always disliked about a lot of the Agatha Christie adaptations, is that they're really like... They're, they're they're really like 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 being at the library for the knitting hour, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. Especially the seventies ones. I mean, the you know, the the ones with uh, this one with Albert Finney and, and who's the Peter Ustinov does some as as Poirot, and I'm not a fan of those. It's like it's like tacky seventies old people city. Uh, this I I like the cast. I thought the cast was pretty good. Yeah, you know Johnny Depp uh, is is the villain in it, and he he does a, a pretty good, pretty brief turn before he spends the rest of the movie dead. Mm-hmm. Daisy Ridley um, from Star Wars is way less wooden in this than she is in Star Wars. She does a pretty good job. Uh, there is there are some younger people too. Josh Gad's in it, um, doing doing a pretty good job. A little broad. Michelle but Pfeiffer is Michelle it? Pfeiffer did you mention pretty her great yet? in it. No, I didn't. She's like for me, she's a draw. Yeah, she's yeah. just so she's phenomenal. Yeah. She's one of those ladies who, you know, had like a long period as she was sort of getting older where I didn't see her in a lot of movies. And she's been in two movies this year, like two big movies this year. She was in Mother. Yeah, yeah. And it like this lady can act and she's gorgeous. Yeah. And for like an aging lady, like <laughs> She, she she's she's really good in the she film too. She pulls off this role fantastically um, well. You know, Penelope Cruz is in it for reasons that just sort of are there. She's mm-hmm. not. I mean, she just sort of exists in the movie. Uh, Kenneth Branagh, I think, does some interesting things with the character of Poirot. Now, I've never liked Poirot. I've always found him really off-putting. Part of that is the greasy plastic hair that they usually put on him. Like he, he just you know they they really well, what slick about down the David hair. David Suchet doesn't have not hair. A fan. 
He's, he's like bald though. But See, the mustache is still it's still it's still a plastic mustache. Okay, well, as a guy who has waxed a mustache, yeah, but not like you that. Feel like it's, it's it's too much. It's too much. Too we need much more, wax we need, in we the need, mustache. We need, we need a, uh, a matte wax. I think they're going like <laughs> Lego man hair. I'm not sure they used to have a choice about what kind of wax. They anyway, uh, Brana though is is way less fussy. I think than than Poirot usually is. He's got. Uh, he makes Poro kind of sadder a little bit. He does he does some interesting things, and he's got one of the strangest mustaches I've ever seen in film. Oh my god! Are we already <laughs> are we already going to talk about the mustache? You got to talk about the mustache, yeah? Or do we want to talk about the mustache is really the star of the film? Okay, yes. This is like last week when we were talking about how Chris Hemsworth's arms were the star of the movie. Yeah. This movie has this this was well, a fake mustache as we learned. So any gents out there who are going to attempt this lustrous fantastical mustache like just be warned Kenneth Branagh could not even actually grow this mustache. He tried. He, he tried and he failed. And yeah. Yeah, so they resorted 6 months of mustache research went into this mustache. This this mustache is a mustache for all time. Now, I was really confused because okay, yeah, every adaptation I've ever seen, like, a Poirot adaptation I've ever seen. Uh, Poirot always has kind of a little bitty kind of handlebar sort of mustache. It's it's Turns up at the end. It tur- it's, it's nicely curled at the end, usually. But it, it, it's dainty. It's close to the face. It's, it's you know, dark in color. Um, and this one was completely different this is like and this is one of those things where it's nice to have somebody who's not afraid of going out on a limb and adapting something in a totally new way right mm-hmm. like i i like that i'm a fan of invention i'm a fan of you know like if i just wanted to watch yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. the old conventional well, let me, adaptation let me describe the mustache okay, i would say you go ahead and then i'm gonna give our listeners the names i have come up with for this style okay. because i've been thinking about so this. Everyone knows that part in Alien when the alien opens his mouth and a little another mouth pops out and screams at Sigourney Weaver. This is the mustache equivalent of that. This is a mustache that has its own mustache. It's like it's like a dual flowering mustache. It has inner mustache and outer mustache. Mustache Majora, you know, mustache minora here. It's something else. So uh, <laughs> go ahead and okay. Try to name this. So here, here are many names that I came up with: the Echo, yeah, that's the Kaleidoscope, <laughs> the Twofer, the Double Down, the Double Decker. Nice, nice, nice. The uh, wait, I had another one. Uh, no, Echo, Kaleidoscope. Yeah. Um, no, there's another uh, one in there somewhere. I like the echo. Oh, the Shadow. The yeah, Shadow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the front and back. <laughs> <laughs> It is a huge mustache, uh, but I will say, you know. Oh, 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 oh! My favorite one. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. I can't believe I almost forgot this. The quad. The quad. Yeah. The quad. I was thinking about going quad stash, but I kind of like it just. Just the quad. The quad. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, quad. I feel like I would like to personally see this mustache making an appearance in pop culture now, like just just yeah, street yeah. culture, like yeah. people growing this mustache, maybe even like a tri decker mustache. You, do, you know, I don't even the. It's a crazy mustache. The possibilities are limitless it's here, people. It's a big, lustrous You're going to need to invest in some time to grow this mustache. Yeah. You might 
need some you know how like when women put like uh extra hair in there is a fall yeah, you might yeah, need yeah. like a fall for your mustache. Well, so like, Bruno definitely did. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and definitely gonna, copious amounts of mustache wax. But like the matte mustache exactly, wax. Exactly, because he's, he's not shiny. It's That's that's what I like about this mustache. Well, he's also gray in this, which yeah. no Poirot I've ever seen has ever been gray. Yeah. Has, has always had like, like dark they've, hair. They've, has, they've, they've dyed themselves with the toner ink, you know. <laughs> the shoe polish <laughs> exactly. dye this on the... the problem with Poirot. One oh of the my gosh. Poirot. Poirot. You don't really have an appreciation for the David Suchet, though. David no, Suchet... Is Poirot? He is Poirot. But this is—he is like the best. He's like to me just the standard version. You know what I mean? And but but yeah. So getting back to Kenneth Branagh and his mustache. At times he's—I think he's really good in this, and at times he's asleep. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it takes him about (laughs) half an hour to wake up for the movie. And then he, when he gets interested in the case, he's actually pretty, pretty darn good. at He is it. sort of electrified um, at some point. Yeah, yeah, I will yeah. agree. And and I think I think it's 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 kind of cool, but it's frustrating because I mean, and this is my problem with Brana in general as a filmmaker, barring Thor, which is just utter trash uh, that he made. He's usually a guy who's got some pretty okay ideas and can't carry them out. His Frankenstein was was really interesting for trying to actually adapt the novel. Um, rather than the the Universal movie from the 30s, you know, had had a pretty interesting central performance by Robert De Niro as Frankenstein, but is a mess of a movie and it's awful in parts. You know, I mean, it makes it makes the Bram Stoker's Dracula by Francis Ford Coppola look like a masterpiece. Well, um, that is a masterpiece. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> you know, and and, and Brana like he shoots this in 70 millimeter. Like, there's everything's on the side of this being really cool. He assembles a really interesting cast. Um, he does some some really neat overhead crane shots of the interior of the train. The interior, the, the train itself, is, I, th- I think, really great set design. He shoots through glass a lot in, in a way that's metaphorical to the story, the, the entire idea of, like, you know, a murderer's soul uh, becomes shattered, kind of, which is a very Harry Potter thing as well. Um, that that's, 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 that's set up in the cinematography in a really beautiful way. But then he does, like, some just awful things like i think a lot of the the flashback scenes are terrible they look like bad tv they, they, they look like uh reenactments from you know uh unsolved mysteries <laughs> that's exactly what they look like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah and then he's got this scene that is like the worst scene in the movie by far where kenneth branagh or where or, 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 or poirot like has this like long dark night of the soul where he's like sitting alone <laughs> in his cabin being like i just can't see the I just can't see the the uh, you know the solution to this problem. Where is it? I don't know if I'm going to be able to solve it. Listen, this guy has the biggest ego in the world as a detective. This is also his holiday. He's taking this on for fun. You know, like that's what the character's doing in it. He doesn't. He's not emotionally invested in in it that much. You know, I mean, and uh, and he doesn't doubt himself. That's not Poirot. Uh, it's a terrible scene. It just doesn't belong in the movie. The movie would be a lot better if you just cut it. And, and there's a number of things like that. There's also times where, like, he could have he could have dragged it out more. There's some confusing bits for me about, like, you know, when when he moves from one cabin to another because at the beginning he's he's stuck with Josh Gad, and then he's he's not. And I don't know exactly the uh, the, the the mechanics of of that happening. There's a lot of characters that they got to keep track of. They do an okay job with it, but I think a lot some of that could have been done better. But there is, I mean, there's some some cool things about it. 
So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm mixed on it too, but I, I'm glad that they made a Locktroom mystery classic, you know, movie. Um, and and the the atmosphere of a lot of it, at least the interiors, uh, I'll, I'll take it over any of those '70s Agatha Christie adaptations any day. Yeah. So uh, let me get back to something that you mentioned uh, that you thought that Kenneth Branagh did well, which was the overhead crane shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was trying to remember where I've seen that before because in, initially when I saw that, I, I did really like how he used the camera angle there because you're the challenge of shooting things in a train is that your set has to look like a train so it has to look kind of confined you have to look like there's sort of small quarters there's these small hallways and whatnot so um that was a very clever use of the camera at that you know in that angle to show you sort of this overview of the room as they're discovering the dead body um, because they're like oh here's a clue and here's a cl-. and you can see right down into the room and you can see all the clues it's sort of like you as the viewer get to experience that discovery moment yeah it's really nicely done and it reminds me a lot of like the actual game board for clue yeah. which you can look you know you're looking yeah, down exactly, on exactly. it and you have everything in the you know your rooms and you have you know your little pieces that you move around and whatnot but um but I thought, I'm guessing Kenneth Branagh probably didn't base this shot on Clue, the, yeah. the game. Well. So here's here's something. I, test my memory on this. Is there a shot in Psycho when um, Anthony Perkins is... Uh, is you know is there a shot in Psycho tracking Anthony Perkins in a room like that? I don't remember that. Okay. But you could be right. I might have made that I up. I don't. I haven't watched Psycho in in a number of years, so that could. That I just saw right. it this summer, and I'm I'm gonna say yeah. it's possible. Yeah. But it's possible that my memory is conflating something else. It reminds so, me a bit of like Life Aquatic. I know Wes Anderson will do those sort of shots a lot. But has he done an overhead? He does yeah, usually done, from a side. He's done some overheads too, and has a very Kubrick, linear sort of. Kubrick's done a couple. Yeah. Of those. A couple things. Yeah. Um, Anyhow, but that was a very, that was actually one of the moments when the film, the actual um, work of, you know, directing became apparent to me that Kenneth Branagh had like a a vision mm -hmm. and he actually executed executed it quite well. Another moment was um, in the beginning of the movie when. Poirot, not the very beginning, but when he gets onto the train in the station, he's actually, I think, he's he's walking walking through the train. The camera's outside the the train. You're looking through the windows. It's a really long, I think you go, he goes through at least three cars. Yeah. Or maybe only two, but still, it's a very long tracking shot. And he's speaking. He's encountering different people. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff happening. And it's actually, that moment also makes you think, Oh, there's a there's an actual director who has some skill. Exactly. Who's constructed this in a way yeah. that it's it's not it's almost like too good for you to notice, like it's too well done for you to really notice. It's a difficult thing to do, but it it's well done. It, it is. It is well mm-hmm. done. It, and it, it's it's so jarring in comparison with some of the exterior train shots. Like they've when the train a, is chugging through yeah, the landscape. Yeah, the CGI train yeah. chugging through a CGI landscape that looks like it's uh, Thomas Kincaid <laughs> painter of like I swear to God, every time they sw- they show the outside, it's it's some sort of purple sunset. I just kept Thomas going, Kincaid. oh, it's Hogwarts Express. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
and, and also there's a there's a really wait wait can okay. we can we just mention like all of the movies that we've ever seen a train chugging through a landscape because I'm feeling like maybe one of the best ones that I've ever seen is uh is the Great Train Robbery with Sean Connery from back in the day and that that's just like an actual train yeah just chugging through chugging along through yeah yeah I mean, I've seen ones that have that have uh you know model trains that work relatively okay this is true uh, but but this but, but this is like oh what do we do nowadays we don't just film a train yeah. in a landscape because what that would be boring or that would be too easy or that would employ too few people I don't, I don't know. know but I would like to see that again personally because the yeah the sunset colors going on were a little too they were Thomas awful. Kincaid is Thomas the best Kincaid way of putting is, yeah, it yeah exactly yeah. very Tom and then there is the the scene where uh, uh, the lightning strike happens and the avalanche happens that was silly. that looks like a video game cutscene it looked terrible. it's like the, you know it's not just an avalanche yeah. happens. Because avalanches happen all the time. How no, no. In the world of strike a lightning peaks has to strike the mountain peak, causing a sudden avalanche right by a bridge. I mean, listen. I grew up in a place where you had to make sure in the winter when you went up into the mountains that avalanches weren't going to happen, right? Yeah. So, they, but. Nobody was ever like, "Oh, there's a there's an electrical storm. Don't go up in the mountains." That I yeah. do, I don't and know. It, just, it if looks, this is even it a realistic really reason. It, it looks, does. It looks really yeah. badly fake. Yeah. I think. Uh, um, wait, I think I was gonna talk about something else that you said he did well. I'm trying to remember what it was, but maybe we'll come back to that. Okay. Well, as I said, I said he does some of the character stuff well. I said he does some of the the training. Oh, you well. said about how like he, keeping all the characters straight. Yeah. Was it? The, yeah. And actually, that's something that even the the original movie version of this does. And I I think that that's actually, I mean, not to say Kenneth Branagh didn't do a good job with that. I think I think that the heart of that success lies in the actual I, writing. Yeah. Agatha Christie wrote this in a way where. Again, you have this enclosed set of people. There's a number of them, but there's not too many. And it kind of, the action keeps going circularly to kind of draw all of these yeah. characters inwards towards There's a one lot of characters for a modern movie, actually. Though. There That's are. The thing. There's not yeah. usually that many uh, important characters in a movie. Yeah. Um, and and there's, there's, there's quite a number of them. There are. So but they, at the same time, it's a pretty small amount of people on a train when you think about it. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> for a train that's sold out. <laughs> but they, they do all, they also, they, they actually have, I think, two or, at least one, maybe two less people than they have in the uh, the Sydney Lumet version, because there's a separate doctor from uh, you know mm. the major character, mm-hmm. and he's the same thing. Oh, we haven't even mentioned Willem Dafoe in this. Oh yeah, Willem Dafoe's in this. I wish I had seen. I wish there was more Willem Dafoe in this. He's great in these little character roles. He did a great job in it. Yeah, there's not. He wasn't given a lot to do. He no, has little bits. But of that's whatever. the thing about these things. They the people get like their one scene, you know. I know. And, and he got his true. one scene. Yeah. It's um, pretty enjoyable. So yeah, I mean, you know, I thought it was okay. If they make another one, I'd I'd be interested in seeing it. I hope that you know Kenneth Branagh restrains himself from making things look like Thomas Kincaid. Yeah, just use real trains. Just and real use real trains. It's and, not that and, hard. And you know, there's, all a, the way through. there's a train that goes through Glacier National Park all the time. You could just use that yeah. and say it's wherever. No one will know the difference. Um, here's a question I have for you, Nick. Sure. Why do people? think that Kenneth Branagh is smart because here's a thing right <laughs> here's the thing Kenneth Branagh has he's been around for a long time for, yeah. he's made a lot of movies both as a director he's been in a lot of movies as an actor yes. yeah, I know he's in a lot of stage work okay but but like but like 
Why do people think he's smart? Because Kenneth Branagh does Shakespeare. Exactly. He's right? associated with Shakespeare in the mind in the minds of people because he's made you know a number of Shakespeare adaptations, and he's been in a lot of Shakespeare some of plays which supposedly are okay. I haven't seen the good ones. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, I haven't seen the good ones. I'll put it that way. Um, but but uh, his movies that aren't Shakespeare movies are pretty bad. <laughs> Well, I will say. I well, think, okay, but I like with bad. this one, do you think that like do you think that it takes a smart person to make an Agatha Christie adaptation? Not necessarily. I wouldn't necessarily yeah. think so either. But do you think that this movie is going to get like critical acclaim because he's considered a smart guy and he's making a film that's based on uh, uh, even a genre? Yeah, yeah. Literary it's work, a, but, but it's still a literary, literary work. work. It's PBS territory. It's like definitely. classic, yeah, British yeah. literature, and it's gotten it's gotten mixed, if slightly respectful reviews. I think from what I've what I've seen out there uh, for it, you know, it's it's funny because actually the second takes um, that have been coming out this week, as opposed to last week's first take reviews, have been have been better for the toward the movie. Uh, there was a guy in the Washington Post, I think, who, who actually said it was really good this week. The reviewer from the the New York Times is like, I think, <laughs> some funny little pull quote about it. You know, it, it chugs along and is sometimes occasionally entertaining. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> occasionally <laughs> rattles wow. along and, and occasionally approaches entertaining. Wow, I wouldn't say it's occasionally approaching entertaining. Yeah, I think it's mostly... Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's fine. I mean, I went into this movie like feeling very bitter over having missed what, three or four minutes of it. and, and I, I think it was even less than that. But Yeah, but even still, I couldn't help but like smile and laugh and enjoy yeah. it and be on the edge of my seat eventually. And Yeah. It, and you know, that. it's okay. I, I, I call it a five... You know, Listen, we were in a, we were in like a theater full of there were there were some old people, right? But yeah. but there were so many there were college students galore. I think they were there for extra credit. I think somebody somebody was like I can do the some English report, class but, uh, had to have been at, like <laughs> saying you get extra credit for going to this movie. Yeah. Also, there but there were like young people. There were like couples. There were a bunch of guy like tons of guys there yeah. on their own without ladies. I this is like a. a Total. I feel like I entered a warp dimension. Yeah. Like literally. It's pretty crazy. Right? This audience was all I could think about. For First it was most Lord of the Rings. Of the- then it was. Then it was <laughs> comic books. Now it's going to be Agatha Christie. But I've never met a dude my age who reads Agatha Christie. Now, granted, I haven't read this one. Yeah. I wonder if most people read this one or not. It's one of the popular ones. Definitely. People actually read this one, though? I don't know. Because I, I know people who've read And Then There Were None. Mm-hmm. That was actually, I think, something that people read in high school. I where read I went that to in school. high school. Yeah. I mean, not, not for high school, but I read it. I don't know why high school students would be reading it. But but even still, uh, Murder on the Orient Express, I wonder if there's you know new literary value for reading it for some reason yeah. that I don't know of. But anyhow... Um, I, I do think it's an odd adaptation, actually. I, w- I don't want to be a popular adaptation because this is a mystery um, that breaks the rules of mysteries. Because let's talk does, about this. Okay, can we spoiler alert? Well, spoiler alert. Okay, this so the solution who, to the problem yeah. of who murdered them is everybody did. Everybody, everybody did. except for the conductors and Poirot. Yeah. Every other character only on the, the one train. conductor though, because because the other conductor did in this as well. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Is everybody? Yeah, so that's kind of crazy. Which, 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 which is something that would be really frustrating if you're like, you know, it's your first mystery, and you're like, oh, the point is to look for the killer, the killer, the killer, and the thing is, everybody's a killer. But it also it breaks is the kind of mind blowing. Yeah, but it breaks the rules. 
You know, so rule it's, breaking is good. <laughs> but it's a weird thing. Dude, to that do. mustache breaks the rules. Okay, <laughs> it's a weird thing to do when when it's not necessarily a popular genre. You know what I mean? Like this is this like is true. if this were a Marvel movie, this would be like fourth wave. Like when you've gotten bored with the regular ones and you're trying to do something different. Well, so maybe this is fourth wave. Maybe like you know we had all those uh, we had those Sherlock Holmes adaptations with well, those uh, are really adaptations. Robert Downey. Those Jr. are very well, or not adaptations, but uh, reimaginings. <laughs> yeah, there's like some serious like uh, what else like have we had in terms of detective in stories in the recent past? It, but you know, people are maybe people are ready for something new. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, but I, I, that's why I think. I mean, I think this gets got remade because there was uh, an Oscar winning movie from 1974 which, let's talk about that briefly as well sure go for it uh, I hate that movie <laughs> I'm just gonna say that the, I love Sidney Lumet yeah. I hate Albert Finney especially in that oh role God. he's usually terrible and he is off-puttingly shockingly awful in that role he walks around like a man with no neck like the Steve Martin skit I have no neck you walk into the room and everyone's head turns except for his <laughs> He's like constantly looking downward. He looks like he's got Lego man hair. It's like snapped on. He's 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 awful. I can't understand half of what he says with his like weird French Belgian accent. His his reactions to people are off putting entirely. Yeah, that man's kind of repulsive. Just. Just generally. You know what role I liked him in? The only role I've ever liked him in was, was when that? he was Ebenezer Scrooge in a... I like him in Miller's Crossing. Uh, David Neem's uh, yeah. Christmas Carol. He's good in that because he's supposed to be a complete asshole to everybody. <laughs> Did you remember his part in Miller's Crossing? He's like the Irish mob boss. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. good in that. Yeah. He's only good in roles where he is acceptable as a total asshole. I Even think. then though he's not great. But sometimes. he's not good at being As he's gotten older too, he like he's got this like gaspy toad thing he does with his face. Yeah, that... he's always looked like a toad and <laughs> anyways, <laughs> so that's the central my central problem with that. The other problem is that it, it's a movie that casts a a million really famous stars, aging stars in these roles and and they ham it up mercilessly. You've got like uh, Anthony Tony Perkins, you know, in the Josh Gad role, he's awful. He's just terrible. Yeah, he is terrible. You know, you, you, you've got a number of. I mean, it's just to me, it's not a good movie. Lauren Ingrid- Bacall is the equivalent of Michelle Pfeiffer's role in this, and she is <coughs> kind of unbearable to watch. Yeah. She's so she's tacky. like a, she's like a Carol Burnett sketch. Even worse. But, She's, there's nothing laughable about it. It's just painful to watch her. You know, and, and the, the costume Although design... Ingrid Berg- Bergman... Ingrid Bergman is always Ingrid Bergman. Is gorgeous and wonderful and classy and yeah, but she, she maintains her own she's like she she's won like an oscar little, for that role i know because she's like the only she's like this little island of good taste in the whole movie yeah i still think that's a nothing role that's the penelope cruz religious fanatic yes. role and and it's kind of a nothing role but she is ingrid bergman and she is one of the greatest actresses of all time uh, she's like in her mid fifties there, I think, and, and she looks stunningly like she's beautiful. Twenty-five, <laughs> uh, just yeah. like Ingrid Bergman is, yeah. you know, which is it, it's always great to see her, definitely. But you know, in general, it's just it's not a good movie. Well, and there's also the weird, like the there's even just like the opening title sequence has these bright colors and these title cards and stuff, yeah. and then you get into the movie and it's like really washed out. It's one of those movies that like. 
in my memory, I don't remember a lot of the action. I just remember it being really washed out. Like yeah. the, the colors are like the way not that there. the '70s used to do the '20s, and I think this counts as even though it's, I think it's like '30s. The way the '70s used to do that period in time is really off-putting. And, and the the best example, best worst example I come up with is the '70s version of The Great Gatsby, starring Robert Redford and Mia Farrow, which is just like pukingly terrible from beginning to end. It is so ungodly tacky and awful is in it tone. also washed out looking it is it is and yeah. it's just got like See, how can you have they, something they do with this all like of these like fake ragtime music all through art it? deco like you know yeah. art direction and then have no color actually visible and i don't know i don't know what happened they, it was like the reverse of technicolor or something it was like they decided to like and and they they do this like because the twenties are supposed to be a good time so they have everybody laugh like ho, 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 <laughs> through the entire thing like they think actual like you know laughing is contagious or something it's really not in these oh. sort of movies it's really anyways so so to me this is a giant improvement on on that one um, and like I said Brana is actually he's really empathetic which is really kind of funny uh, to see for that, that Poirot role, because I don't yeah, think Poirot is supposed to be empathetic. Well, no, he's he's usually portrayed as a, I mean, a fairly, um, well, he's super egocentric. Yeah. At, for good reasons, but I mean, he's to the point where he's not very, um, he's not like sociable, really. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. like he's antisocial, but he just... He doesn't really like no one measures up to his expectations. So I guess I can relate to him in that way. <laughs> but, but you know, he he sort of has like no room in his life for people that are imperfect and annoying and yeah, you know, kind of. Well, well, for instance, you know, uh, uh, Albert Finney in the old version when when I don't know he apologizes because somebody talks about their parent dying or whatever, or their 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 spouse dying after their daughter died, right? And he's like, oh, I'm very sorry to hear that. But on to lighter matters. Ho, 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 Terrible. He, he, he literally yeah. does that. Yeah. And, and then in the Brana version... Yeah, oh, he does the wonderful thing where he's constantly telling people to, like, fix their ties and stuff. He, he does these things where he's obviously OCD, but... But, but it's but it's cute how he does it. Yeah. It's not off-putting. It's cute, yeah. actually. But but there's the, uh, the, the character that's the, um, the butler or whatever for Johnny Depp. You know, Brana figures out through deduction pretty quick that, you know, he's suffering from an inoperable cancer. He's like got terminal cancer. And he's got this really great empathetic, I'm, I'm truly sorry to hear that. Yeah, moment. but, he, it, but yeah, yeah. There's, there's a, there's a, an empathy there. Like there's a, he sees people for what they are, um, that, and, and he's empathetic towards them in a way that I've never seen in, in this character. Yeah. And I don't think that's necessarily true to Agatha Christie, but well, I found it enjoyable. Here, here I will say something, is that uh, I think a lot of Agatha I mean, I, I've read a lot of her books. Different, yeah. Like, a lot of her different characters. And um, I think that what comes through a, most of the time, like, what's a really common through line, is that she seems to always be interested in not just having the action revolve around the solving of a crime, but sort of more almost like the revealing of human nature and and the motivation behind characters' actions mm-hmm. or their words or their demeanor. Like, she's... I think what she's most yeah, interested what, in are, are just, like, the, yeah. the human... Like, the complex 
things that make each person individual and unique. Sure, sure. I think as a, so, as a writer she is, but, but yeah, it's her character Poirot. Poirot understands that stuff. He's not necessarily always portrayed as being sympathetic or empathetic towards it. Yeah. But he definitely understands that stuff, and that's why he's so good at what he does. Yeah. Um, here's something that I thought was a little bit not Poirot-ish about how Kenneth Branagh portrayed him. Uh, there were uh, moments, the very beginning, which we kind of missed part of, where he's solving a crime in, is he in Istanbul? He's in uh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And uh, he's able to solve this crime based on, like, a crack in a painting. And, yeah, then, yeah, and yeah. then he, like, sticks his cane in a wall and the guy, like, runs into it. Like, he like he just, happen. yeah, he has this, like, that almost, was a very, like, like, Sherlock Holmes yes. kind of thing. And there's another moment, like, shortly after that where he's sitting on a bench waiting to catch a fairy and the lady that sits down next to him, he, like, he deduces, deduces like, immediately that she's a governess because she has chalk on her sleeve. That is not Poirot. Pretty much at all. Yeah, that's, that's Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes. Holmes. That's just straight up. That, that's Sherlock Holmes right there, people. <laughs> that's not. That's not really Poirot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Poirot is is does use deduction in the novels, but um, it it's kind of. It almost made me sad that they were conflating that sort of thing mm-hmm. because there's a definite sort of delicacy to how Poirot does his deduction. Well, they work. give him like some action scenes actually in this, which is is kind of silly it's kind of silly i mean it, it works okay it breaks it up a little bit as opposed to making a very talky masterpiece theater yeah i mean but like i said in general there there's definitely things that i liked about it and and in, and i think uh in my memory it's actually gotten a little bit better i think initially i i saw the flaws more than i saw the good things and in in my mind now i think i remember more the good things than the flaws so it's one of those a little bit of a grower uh <laughs> for me anyway yeah I'm 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 more uh, likely to agree with the people that are now like the second week reviews rather than than the first week reviews. (laughs) (laughs) All right, but I Um, I no I would have mentioned so here's uh, because you know we haven't been reviewing movies that long, but I would like to take this as an opportunity to talk about a movie that came out earlier this year that nobody saw pretty much except for us. Okay. And it also is, uh, I would say, you know, there's there's a bit of a mystery about it. There's a bit, you know, but the crime is never truly solved in it, which is also just poof, like mind blowing. You know, there goes everything you know about a movie or you know a story involving like detective work. Uh, and that movie is My Cousin Rachel, which is written by another extremely successful uh, female British novelist. Uh, named Daphne du Maurier, who mm-hmm. wrote a lot of books. Not they were not genre fiction at all. No, I mean she gets she gets tagged as sort of a women's writer, even though she wrote in a, in a, in a number of she wrote historical fiction. She wrote kind of mysteryish things. She wrote sci-fi. She wrote sci-fi and short she, stories. That's what I think yes. actually the most interesting stuff for her is the short stories. Uh, Alfred she Hitchcock used to like to adapt her stuff. She also wrote a lot of books where a man is the central character. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. she wrote often from a, a man's perspective. Yeah. Um, but anyways, my cousin Rachel. Uh, was, it came out early, again, like, this is another, you know, Emily moment, like, oh my god, the world is making movies for me, (laughs) just for me! And that was my cousin Rachel, because I love Daphne du Maurier, and she has had so many film adaptations made of her work. But not so much recently. Including Rebecca, 
and the birds, the birds, Jamaica in. Yeah. You know, there's an old version of my cousin Rachel with Olivia de Havilland. It's wonderful. That's pretty great. The Olivia de Havilland being so <laughs> fierce. Yeah, yeah. And um, and the, what's the French one? The the scapegoat. Um, or? The scapegoat. Yeah. yeah. There's a movie of that. There's an old and a new one. I've never saw that. Seen the old one, but yeah, the new one's pretty good too. But anyways, my cousin Rachel stars Rachel Vice as, as Rachel, Rachel, which is kind of pretty awesome. Easy. Like, how could you not love that? Um, and that movie, by comparison, I think was a much better made movie. Yeah. Like, I'm only comparing these because they are adaptations made this year that are, you know, these famous British women's authors. Not the exact same time period, but pretty similar Not time period in which they period, were writing. Actually, yeah. Very I, close. Yeah. And um, I would say pr- not not equally successful novelists, but pretty comparable. And, yeah. and you know... To contrast it, you have Agatha Christie, who is really well-known still, and you have Daphne du Maurier, who probably anybody listening to this podcast has never heard her name said before. <laughs> They're probably like, how do you say that name again? <laughs> Anyways, um, but yeah, My Cousin Rachel has a wonderful plot of this guy who's uh, his kind of adopted father. It's his, like, uncle. Kind of his uncle, who's or like a, a confirmed okay. bachelor. Yeah finds this lady and falls in love with her and then shortly thereafter dies. And so the man who is, you know, the the main character of the film... Is convinced that she killed him. Yeah, is like, oh, she definitely killed him. And then he meets her and he falls in love with her. And so then he's convinced that she she didn't kill him. (laughs) And then he slowly, you know, there's evidence piles up that maybe she did after all. He becomes ill. She keeps feeding him tea. Mysterious foreign Italian teas. Yes. So and and that movie ends with essentially you never get to find out if Rachel was actually poisoning him. Yeah, and it's a it's a good adaptation. It's a solid adaptation. They've been doing some pretty good stuff in that period. That one. Who directed that one? That was um, was that made by the same person that made the. I don't. I don't think it was. Uh, Roger Michelle is the I'm name of the, the director. Not finishing enough sentences. I must be too excited about this. Yeah. Uh, it, it reminded me of, of the the recent adaptation of Far from the Mad and Crowd. Yes, yes, um, it's very much along those lines, but not made design. by the same people. Yeah. No, but very much you get that like wild British landscape yeah. and uh, just kind of these rambling old drafty houses and uh, the Thomas Hardy thing feel to it really. But it's it's a it's a cool movie. Uh, it didn't didn't play too great in America. No, but definitely. I would say if you're like if you're somebody who is interested in say Murder on the Orient Express because you want like a real fulfilling yeah, like the British Downton, film the adaptation experience, then I would suggest very strongly that My cousin Rachel stronger you, film than like, Murder on the Orient see Express. Murder on the Orient Express because it's fun. But if you want to see something that's like a really well made movie with actually really good acting and beautiful direction and and just everything is perfectly in place like it's a masterpiece see my cousin rachel yeah and it's i mean it's also gonna irritate the hell out of you because like i said breaks the rules you never get to find out (laughs) if she killed him which i just spoiled it again i'm you know but it's it's still this is all i don't think plot matters that much for these things i think i think it's the journey man it's about how you get there it's not about the destination you don't think people would just fall asleep during My Cousin Rachel if they knew that there's no payoff? No, no, because they would they would still, I mean, you can still collect clues and you can have your own opinion about That's it. True, That's true, like actually. Yeah, I mean, I will say I have my own opinion about it. Yeah. 
So what do you think? Did she, she do totally it? did. Yeah, she, she totally, totally did. Yeah, she totally did. <laughs> that innocent face. <laughs> oh, come on, Rachel Vice. She's got she's got the devil in her. All right, all right. She's a tricky one. Okay. Well, we've gone pretty long, so let's We're wrap this up. We're going to have to edit the heck out of this to make it listenable. And uh and we'll talk to hey, you. Hey, what are we watching next week? I don't know. What are we watching next week? I don't know. I don't want to go see that stupid Justice League movie. So we got to find <laughs> Daddy's Home else. too. No. Daddy's Home no, too. No. <laughs> Bad Mom's Christmas? Oh <laughs> hell no. <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough call, I think. We'll figure it out. Maybe maybe it'll be like some Netflix original we'll watch instead. Alright. Okay, well thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. I got the train. It's not all I'll with my big brain. Came me rude to touch, mustache so wide. It needs its own word. Murder's a ride. Let's hope it ends with the I caught the train. It's not all I'll catch. Poirot's my name. No, I'm not French. Mustache has a stash. It will distract you. This train better crash. So it's a lot room. Murder on the Orient Express. Murder on the Orient Express Murder on the Orient Express I caught the train It's not all I'll catch with my big brain Can be rude to catch my mustache so wide Needs its own birth, murder's a ride the ends with the I caught the train That's not all I'll catch Borrow's my name No, I'm not French Mustache has a stash It will distract you This train better crash So it's a lot Murder on the Orient Express Murder on the Orient Express Express. Murder on the Orient Express.